Welcome. We are on chapter six of First Timothy, and we are in verse. Did we make it to verse eleven? I think we are on eleven. Yeah, because we kind of finished off our. Uh, we had to finish off our our section on the uh, fact that money is the the root of all kinds of evils. Correct. All right, to get started, Rachel, would you read for us? Maybe sure. take a 11 through 13. Yeah, just one second. I'm opening my Bible up right now. Oh, no worries. 11 through 13? Yeah. Okay. But you, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give you charge in sight of God, who quickened all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed the good confession." Wonderful. All right, let's dive into verse 11. But you, man of God, what does that mean? It almost seems like Paul is transitioning from earlier on in the letter where his, I mean, his audience is Timothy throughout the letter, but it's more broad right now he's like shifting back and focusing more on timothy specifically um and that's not to say that what follows isn't applicable to the rest of us or that there aren't lessons there but you know there's he there are characteristics described in the following verses that don't necessarily apply to everybody in the church Well, and, and that, I mean, is he, yeah, is he directly talking to, to, to Timothy here or is it, or is it broader? I don't know. But when he, when he says, oh man of God, that is a singular, uh, yeah, it's evocative, which is kind of a strange, let me look that up. I forgot what it means. Does evocative mean anybody? Very good. We scared them off. All right. <laughs> Unless he's more meaning like, as a man of God, you should be fleeing these things. Although, you're muted, Jonah. I mean, Paul's certainly drawing a comparison. You know, he's he's drawing a contrast in these two verses, right? And, you know, the word but there is pretty, you know. Yeah indicative of that you know he's describing you know in verses 9 and 10 right those that are rich fall into temptation and snares many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evils which while some have coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows i mean there's a lot of negatives there and he's describing you know these people that are seeking personal gain above godliness and then paul transitions in this section back to but you, man of God, right? So, so in other words, it could be like anybody seeking after, seeking after God, right? Right. And the only reason that I think that Paul is shifting focus and talking more directly to Timothy here is that there's other descriptions here, and we'll get to them in verse 12, that at least in my mind right now, I don't see them as necessarily applying the anybody that would be you know that we might describe as a man of god but that you know that being said it's still good advice it's not device it's exclusively for timothy right like the, and, he, and he goes on to list like basically the fruit of the spirit right or at least parts of them and so i think that's important to realize that this is for everybody who's who's seeking christ even though this may be directly um directly at Timothy. 
And he says, uh, well, and he says, flee from all this. How do you run away from something that's within your own heart? <laughs> Seriously. Well, it's to separate, right? Hmm. To separate yourself. What separates us from God? Sin. So in order to get back to God, you would have to separate yourself from the sin. And I think, obviously, we know we can't do that on our own power. So we need the mediator. We need the intercessor. Which, obviously, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I like that you said separate. In, in, in other words, put some space between you and this thing, right? Uh, don't be don't be too close to this, especially with the love of money. Well, all the things that he's talking about, but specifically ending with the with the love of money and um, these evils that can make our way into our lives. Um, yeah, it makes me think of uh, I don't know why, but it makes me think of Joseph when he's fleeing from. Uh, well, I you know I heard a sermon a while ago. He's, it's like flee from sexual sin wherever it is. A lot of that starts in ourselves, and and just like. Joseph, when um, Potiphar's wife, right, kind of like makes the makes the move on him, um, he like he just runs away. Like, stay away from this stuff, right, as far as you can, um, because because it, it it has a way of dragging us down and making us um, something that we don't want to be. When he says, you know, um, take hold of eternal life. If, if you aren't close enough to lay hold on sin, can't snag you. But if you're close enough to the good things, you can grab hold of them. I like that parallel there. Yeah, that's good. It's interesting. I was just looking at the Greek for this passage, and the Greek word there is what? Fuge, right? Which I would imagine the modern word fugitive probably derives from that word right in that you know you know you can think of fleeing something as like a one-time thing right like you fled the country but if you think of if you more imagine yourself as a fugitive from sin right then you know it, 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 it it's 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 a constant right you're always being pursued but you're always attempting to avoid you know being captured That'll, hey, that'll preach. That'll preach. That's good. No, I mean, think about it. Think about this. This goes actually pretty deep. We're stuck in a world where sin really reigns, right? It's it's kind of the ruler of this world. We, we understand that God is the ultimate ruler, but Satan has really become the, he's given over his power to the devil to, to rule this world and sin is rule. We are in someone else's territory and we're outlaws it's kind of this, this theme of like, Hey, we're, we're actually outlaws. And this thing is going to chase after you your entire life. He's like, run away from it, like escape it. Right. And then, and then, but he's going escape that. But, but while you're escaping that, you're actually going to pursue these other things. Right. That's, that's a, a profound insight there, Jonah. That's good. I think, you know, the Bible also backs that up in First Peter 5, 8. He goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, to eat. Yeah. I also think that some people might take this verse out of, con like they interpret, flee these things as in don't associate yourselves with any of those people. I mean, God calls us to witness to those people. And like where a lot of times like, or people run away to like, uh, monastery or whatever and they're kind of taking that verse out of context it, the flee your flight is not a physical one but rather a spiritual one or they move to walla walla or Berrien Springs so they don't have to talk to anybody that's on <laughs> <laughs> right right for for those of you to, walla walla and Berrien Springs are like Adventist meccas where people go to retreat yeah. from the world okay although sin still exists there <laughs> and it's it takes a different you can't get away from it <laughs> it takes a completely different form yeah. yeah 
Um, okay, so he, he, he gives us some of these attributes. He says, um, free from all of those things that we just talked about. And he said, pursue what's, what is righteousness? We talk about it a lot, but what does it mean? The straight and narrow path. Okay. The right way. I, that's how I think of it. <laughs> I have trouble with righteousness because I think of it as nothing that we can do, true righteousness as being nothing that we can do ourselves. Like God, like in Genesis, it says that God declared Abraham to be righteous. It wasn't anything that he did of himself. He believed that there was a promise for him. There was a God and that he, and then is given to credit credited to his account that he was righteous by God. So I have trouble with righteousness being is something that we ourselves can do. Well, righteousness is continually linked with faith, right? And that's what made Abraham righteous was actually because he believed, not because you're right. It's not because he did actions on his own, it's because he believed in God. That was that was a choice that he made though, right? So choosing to believe in God and to follow him, this is like the, this is, this is salvation that, that we are saved by righteousness by faith, right? Righteousness also means, means justice or equity. This it's actually the same, the same term. And, and it's only found actually in, I think in, in the Lord. Right. But Okay. I'm going to share this actually for, for my sermon, but um, I'm sitting in a chair. Okay. This is kind of the old, the old, how to understand faith. Okay. I'm sitting in a chair right now. Is this chair faithful? To hold you up? Yeah. Currently oh, wait, wait, wait. it is. Apparently. Okay. The chair is faithful, right? Or, or am I faithful because i'm trusting in the chair or 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 um it's it's an act of faith that i'm sitting in this chair that's going to hold me up right based on its faithfulness based on its faithfulness so actually it's this is the this is the interesting thing about faith is that faith isn't like it's not a one-way street it's it's kind of like love where it takes actually a lot of moving factors it actually takes multiple entities uh to actually be faithful because faithful when we trust when it's kind of like love we're in the sense that there's a modern thing going around where it's like well you have to love yourself it's like okay sure but that that isn't in and of itself you can't just decide to love yourself it won't work like that right? You can't be faithful about yourself. It doesn't work like that. You actually have to have faith from some outside thing and it, and it makes you uh, more faithful, right? So righteousness, righteousness actually comes, yeah, from, from having a, a faith in God and believing in him and following his, his path. And as Anson says, following the straight path, which is seeking after the Lord. And that equity, that equity is equity of character right to break it down a little bit more uh, well i mean it, it's yeah an equity of character sure is going to translate to equity um within relationship as well right it's going to it, like okay. this is actually going to it's a vertical relationship that's going to have horizontal effects right gotcha I like that way of putting it, a vertical relationship with horizontal effects. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I heard so funny, Lauren. And is yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say to me? Obviously, we're talking not about our own righteousness, right? We are talking about reflecting the righteousness of Christ. Well, I think, I think sometimes we're. Because yeah. that's the ultimate goal, right? To reflect Christ's character. 
Okay, to be self-righteous is to, is to proclaim our self-righteous, okay? To say, I'm good, okay? To, to be, it's okay to, we are righteous. It's okay to be righteous. It's okay to pursue this thing and to become it. But it is God that proclaims those things upon us, not ourselves, okay? He's the one that, that claims that we are faithful, that we are, that, that Abraham was righteous, right? Because of his faith towards him because of his right action, okay? But, but this isn't something, that, that's the problem with the Pharisees. The Pharisees say that God says that, but he never does. Like, like they just self-proclaim that they're good and they're not. And that's why Jesus says, oh, you know, everything's good on the outside, but on the inside, you're actually full of dry bones, right? A whitewashed tomb. Yeah. So, All right. Yeah, go ahead, Brad. I was just going to say, I guess just to uh, reiterate, or it's it's God who who declares us righteous, um, but in our um, because He is faithful and, and in our belief and pursuit of Him, it's we are presented daily with choices to make that that are of Christ, right? Can we essentially say where it's not just um, it, it's a continual choice, right? Daily, where it's like, no, this is. Um, like, well, just as we pursue God and he gives us discernment about which path to take, then it's like, then it's the choice to choose the path of righteousness. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah. I think the more more we choose his path and become like him, the more, the more righteous we become. Right. And a great example of that righteousness in the Bible, obviously Christ, but aside from that, we have the story of Job. That's what I'm reminded of. Yeah. Yeah. Despite outward uh, things that are happening to him, losing his whole family and basically his whole fortune, everything, he still doesn't curse God. He still calls God good despite it. That's pretty amazing. Okay, and then he goes on to the term, he says, pursue righteousness, uh, right? Seeking after that. And then he says, godliness. How are those two things any different? And what does godliness even mean? Yeah. Well, when I looked it up, it says piety. Yeah. Specifically the gospel scheme holiness Mm -hmm. and what is and what is holiness we get this idea that holiness is like purity and we need to you know be pure right but what 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 is it what is it anybody dedication to god yes that's a big part of it yes well well and i you know I, I'm, I'm going to interpret dedication more broadly than we might be doing it here, right? Because, you know, for something to be sanctified means that it's set apart ah. for a specific purpose, right? And in that sense, it's dedicated to God. And in the same way, I think that holiness applies. So you can interpret dedication in two different ways there. Yeah. 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 So what would we be dedicated or set apart for? Specifically, maybe in the context of this world. I mean, that's good works. I mean, good I'm works. Off, I'm going off of a verse. Okay. It's not how I would initially have answered that, but we're we're set apart for good works. Preordained. Isn't that how it goes? Before. <laughs> I don't know the verse you're talking about. Jake knows the verse. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to fill in the blanks. Why do you assume? <laughs> I know that <laughs> i actually don't i have no idea what you're talking about oh, really? <laughs> i know when you i know when you're talking about but i don't remember the exact wording either lauren yeah I'm, remi- I'm reminded of revelation 22 was it chapter verse 11 where at the end god is pronouncing he was just let him he was unjust let him be unjust still he who is filthy let him be filthy still he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. 
And then there's he who is holy, let him be holy still. So right there, we had the righteous and the holy. So there must be some correlation. Right? Well, could we also just, uh, there's probably more to it, but, but similar to righteousness, um, holiness only comes from, from God and specifically from, from the blood of Jesus. We're, aren't we, we're proclaimed, essentially presented to God, holy and blameless because of, of the blood of Jesus, if we truly believe. Um, it's not anything, once again, it's not anything we've done. It's just our, our belief that, that has saved us and made us holy. So Paul calls the, the Corinthian church um, saints, which is the, it's synonymous. It's linked with this term holy. And yet they do some pretty, um, some pretty messed up stuff. The Corinthian church does. And yet he still calls them saints, the holies. He calls them. You are, you are, you are these holy holies. It's an interesting term. Anyway, um, that doesn't really match up um, with my preconceived notion of what holy means. My ho holy means like, oh, you should just be like, you're, you're good. You're righteous. It kind of linked back to that, you know, you almost like this perfection kind of thing, which tells me that there's probably something else to this word holy. There's something else to, to, to this term. So when I think about it, it means set apart or set aside. So Jesus was also, he was set aside for, for a specific work. And yes, I do see your, um, your text there, Lauren. Um, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath beforehand ordained that we should walk in them. That one? Okay. All right. Ephesians 2, 1. Okay. 210, 210. I had to look it up. Um, so so what was what was Christ set aside for? To provide our salvation. Yeah. And, that's right. and also to be an example of how we should live. Yeah. So if we were set aside or or um, made holy, set apart from the rest of the world, what's our purpose? For what? Why are we set aside? Just, just to be different? Glorify God, I would say, and draw um, people's attention to him. I'd say evangelize and evangelize and teach people how God would like us to live in this world. You ever wonder why? Oh, go ahead, Rachel. No. In a large sense, we're to carry on the ministry that Jesus had for, you know, the first three years, three and a half years before he died on the cross. But also, as Rachel stated, to also proclaim the good news of him, of his resurrection, crucifixion, by the way, and resurrection. And, and I think that, um, do you ever wonder what just so bizarre that God would use us to, to proclaim that? Like we're so broken. I don't get it. I still don't get it, by the way. I have no idea why he would use us instead of some other means to, to preach the good news to other people. I'm reminded of God is kind of on trial, right? And you have to have a jury. And in order to have a jury, they have to be, they weren't present. They're a little unbiased, right? So we are basically the jury between is Satan's character right or is God's character right? Well, we see how Satan's playing things out and we see how God's playing things out and it comes down to the end when he will be justified, we will be justified um, and justification is a good thing. You know, a lot of times people think judgment is bad but actually 
You know, God says he loves judgment. There's a vindication. There's a love in it. Um, on which side of that judgment you're on, right? Yeah, of course. Well, you know, there's it, even it, love in that other side. And of course, in that particular example, it starts to break down a little bit because the question Jake is asking is why is the defense attorney on the jury? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, because if you are actually the jury and impartial once you've made your decision, then you know, the, <laughs> you know, I, I I've never been on a jury before, but you know, I would imagine there's some deliberation back in the courtroom, but they're not actively taking part in the trial. What if we are um, to be witnesses? Sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. What if we're to be witnesses rather than the jury? Witnesses for God's for the God's side of the argument. Yeah, I think we're I think we're we get to actually function on multiple parts of this, actually. Um, and witnessing for witnessing for God and to to testify of his character, right? That his character is right. I think that's that's the part of it. But also, the, the 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 point of the jury that was made, I think, is also stating like, look, we're we are actually getting to decide between if Christ is actually on trial. This is the whole idea of, of good versus evil battle. It's not uh, not just the physical. It's that Satan has accused God of something. We're sitting there and be like, no, God God is the one that's right. That's what we'll say in the end, right? And that's what the jury will say in the end. I think that's where they come together. You know, I don't know how long we want to dwell on this point, but I view it more as, you know, the best way to learn something is to teach it, right? Which I'm sure inspires a lot of confidence in your teachers. <laughs> um, but, you know, you you learn to approach a subject from so many different angles when you've got to be able to communicate it to somebody else. Right. And in that respect, I think that the, you know, it, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me beforehand. You know, people would say how, you know, witnessing is such a faith building experience, but I think in that respect it is right. Because we, we get to explore within our own minds as we're working through how to present God to other people, we understand more of the complexity, but also the simplicity of the message. So in that respect, God is using us in order that we can become more persuaded ourselves. And, and just see him working, right? It's, it's not all up to us. It's like this, the, the whole, the whole, our whole point, and this goes back to holiness or, or godliness is that we're just going to allow the Holy Spirit to do what he's doing. We just need to, um, we don't have to convert people, right? This is not our job. Our job is to arrange a meeting between them and the Holy Spirit. That's it. Right. Once that happens, man, good stuff's about to go down, you know? And, and so, and when people are open to that, but how that all works. Yeah. Yeah. I know broccoli's good for me, but I don't know exactly why you know that's faith that's the next one and jonah kind of touched on it because when you are witnessing or you are giving um lessons or sharing sharing the knowledge god has given you the responsibility of you're doing that in faith and then also the holy you're working with the holy spirit in faith um, which is a beautiful thing what's What's interesting to me, would we, I just, I guess I have a question. So it's interesting that he sa says faith third, because I feel like faith uh, is, is before righteousness and godliness. Not that he probably cared about the order, just right. But I just feel like you believe and then you start having faith and faith grows. And I think, I don't know, but that would just be my, I guess my kind of question. So the, the term he used there is pistine, which is, which is, uh, it means faith or belief or trust or proof. Okay. So obviously there's faith before this because he's saying you, oh man of God, there, there has to be faith there in the beginning. Right. But continue kind of what Jonah was talking about, continue trusting more. Okay. Continue understanding more and don't stop 
don't don't just think, oh, I believe in God and I, I've seen him work once. No, no, no. This thing grows. It becomes more and more powerful the more you see him working, I think. Do you uh, do you become more righteous and more holy uh, as faith increases, though? righteousness for sure i mean godliness i'm not sure that i'm still not entirely convinced that we've pinned down exactly what the godliness is but paul also calls it a great mystery so (laughs) um but yeah i mean you know if you read through you know hebrews 11 right you know the implication is that faith precedes you know the righteousness or the right doing by, you know, basically all of these people, you know, by faith, he did this. Mm-hmm. And then he was, uh, but yes, of course, I think those things increase, but godliness or holiness. Yeah. Those, the, that, that was what made me think I, can you be more set apart than you already were? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know about that one, but yes, the fruit of the spirit, in other words, all these things actually should be continuing to grow in your life. Um, This is talked about in first and second Peter. He's just like, if they're yours and continue to grow, you actually, you can't fail. Like he's like, you, you, you will keep doing well or, or the, the gospel of Jesus uh, will not become ineffectual in your life. It will keep on, keep on going, but you have to be growing. Um, we had faith and love and love. Um, this is agape love. Does anybody know the difference between the two types of two main types of love in the Bible? I've heard them defined as personal and impersonal love. Interesting. Yeah. The personal love is like what we have for our family or spouse or whatever. And then impersonal love is based on our virtue for the human race, our enemies, people we don't know. And it's acted out through courtesy and thoughtfulness and just not being a jerk in life. (laughs) That is how I have heard them defined. Yeah, that's good. So one term is uh, like brotherly love, uh, like philao, like we get our, our term um, Philadelphia, you know, from that, the brotherly love. And then we get this, um, this other term, this agape love, where it's for God so loved the, the world that he gave his only John 3.16, that's where we get the that agape love. Um, that's the unconditional, right? It's the unconditional love, and it's not just a love where, hey, like, I, I love you, man, but it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll not only die for you, but I'm actually going to live for you. Like, my whole life actually revolves around you. And this is what Jesus came to do. This is the love he's talking about. He's like, let your love actually revolve around other people. And yeah, um, a lot of these two are reflecting back to the first chapter, mm-hmm. you know? and it's a nice summary. Well, which which goes back to our chiastic structure. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, we're bringing it back. I was, I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was saving it until we got to the fight, the good fight, because he. He brings that up in in the first chapter as well, but that's true. Anyway, but yeah, basically he's coming. He's come full circle, and he's coming back around and just restating uh, what he's already stated in the beginning. Um, let's talk about endurance and gentleness. These two terms, endurance first. You can't fight the good fight without endurance. I mean, in some respects, right, it relates back to what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, with, with fleeing, right? Where 
it's you're where it's something that's constant, right? You know, a fugitive is no longer a fugitive if he gets caught, you know, so. Could, uh, um, so I see endurance, a big aspect of it. I think there's times that we, we will get caught. Like we will trip up, we will stumble, we will fall, um, be, be bloodied and be in the dirt, but choosing to continue to fight or to flee, to continue to run away. Uh, I think that's where endurance comes from. It's like, it is tough right now. I keep getting knocked down, beat up. Um, I need your help, God. Um, help me continue to try again and keep pursuing you is how I see endurance. Just that constant, just, okay, try again. Understand you're going to fail, but let's try again. To per persevere. What, do you, what would you have to persevere against, Beck? The evils of the world. Okay, okay. This is important to notice this. Okay. Do you have to... Um, You have to persevere against stuff that you like. That depends. <laughs> well, okay. I, no, no, no. go ahead. I, well, I mean, I guess in, in, in a sense, no, right? Because the implication there is struggle. And I would say, well, like, do you have to persevere against like ice cream, right? And you're not persevering against ice cream, you're persevering against eating the ice cream, which in some respects, I guess, is something that you like. Okay, you're mixing but two if it's taken to extremes, then it can be harmful, right? Are you persevering against the desire to eat it or the item? Hang on, hang on, hang on. We're getting off track. Exactly, and that's where my hesitation came from. We're, we're getting off track. Okay, we're mixing two <laughs> terms. We're mixing two terms. And this is important because this is immediately where my mind went before this as well, okay? So perseverance and self-control are actually opposite things, okay? Think about this for a second. What do you need self-control over? Yourself. The things, the thing Jonah just said, we just said, the things that we want, right? The things that we like. Don't take that extra scoop of ice cream. I know you want it. I know you want it, but it's not, it's not good. You know, like, okay, that kind of thing, right? To stop ourselves to say, okay, I, I, I see, I want this thing, but to have self-control to say no, okay? Perseverance is actually the opposite, okay? It is actually keeping going during, it's enduring hardship or suffering, okay? It's when something has been placed on you that you don't want and you're gonna actually push through that thing, okay? Does that make sense how those two things are opposite? Perseverance is continuing something. Self-control is stopping something, going against something. Yes, you got it. Yeah, that, that's a great way of putting it. And, and the things that we have to continue through are generally not things that were, are easy for us or that we like. Um, you don't have to persevere through that. You just do it. I like it, you know? Um, but you need self-control for those things. But perseverance actually comes for when times get rather difficult. This is this is um, this term is often um, perseverance is also is also patience or steadfastness to to remain your ground even though things are attacking you. I found it interesting that this is saying cheerful endurance with constancy. Yeah. And there are so many times when you know they reflect on the martyrs who were in a peaceful state or you have um, several references in the Bible where, um, you know, people have been abused as Christians and, or thrown in jail and they're singing, you know, um, it's just <laughs> kind of mind boggling, <laughs> but they're cheerfully persisting or enduring. And that's my, that's my, some of my favorite stuff with what Paul does this amazingly. I don't know how he, I don't know how he does it, but he's writing it, but he's also living it, by the way, you just go read acts and read some of the stuff that he went through, like being stoned. And then he goes back and preaches at the place like the next day <laughs> where he was dragged out and stoned and they thought they killed him. 
and then and then being thrown into prison, right? So you, you gave this. He and Silas are singing hymns in this prison, and then the and all, everybody hears him. The doors are blown off this place through an earthquake, right? And and every what are you gonna do if you're a prisoner there? What's the what's your initial reaction? Did we already talk about this? Somewhere, sometime. <laughs> yeah, we're bolting. Oh, we talked about it in the car too. Maybe that's we talked about it at the start of the conversation. Flee. No. Well, yeah, but that's what we would do physically, but he doesn't. He like he stays, you know. And and the the Roman centurion and his whole family are baptized because he he stops and he actually puts his life above his own, the centurion's life. That's pretty amazing. I'm already sharing stories multiple times and I've only been here a year. This is not good. <laughs> <clears throat> okay and then and then gentleness okay gentleness what what is this what does this term mean to us i'm brought to the meek of the earth that's what comes to mind yeah. is it the last term in verse 11 yes okay i have meekness in my translation so Doesn't doesn't even Peter mention this? Like always, be prepared to give, basically a testimony of of your faith, but do it with gentleness. So I think that um, does he say gentleness? But either way, I, I just see gentleness as like, and it's so easy. So for me to, I was actually saying this to you earlier today. Um, like it, it's tough for me to, I'm out in the open and I don't have a mask on. And if someone were to come up and get on me for not wearing a mask, it's tough for me not to respond harshly. It's tough for me not to respond in a, a, a negative way when it's just, where it's like that gentle aspect where it just take a breath. It's like all I would be, I'm responding harshly because it's something I don't want to do, but even if it's something I don't want to do, how can I respond gently? Um, and, and through that, maybe help someone see, like, why would you respond that way? Make them question why live your life in such a way. But that's a small example. Take a breath and exhale. <laughs> so um, there was just, something. Just I, respond I, by saying Genesis 38, 15. I don't know if that works for people, just quoting Bible verses that... Yeah. Um, so um, the 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 guy that was with us, um, we, I immediately got thrown into teaching uh, the youth. I don't know why. In my first like six months of coming back to the coming back to the Lord, and I didn't even know what I was doing. And so, but he would he would always say the same. <laughs> he'd say the same thing until I memorized it. He said, "If you think being meek is weak, then try being meek for a week." He kept saying that over and over again, but, but it's true. It's the, the easy way is actually to be aggressive, to be angry and to be strong. Okay. To be the strong person. Okay. This is by far the easier way. The much harder way is to be gentle, to be gracious, to be patient and enduring this stuff. And actually um, to, to put someone else's needs above, above my own and to be gentle doing it. It's not easy. It's not easy. And it takes giving of yourself. So, yeah. It's that whole reversed characteristic from our sinful nature's character. Yeah, I think a lot of times, I think a lot of times um, uh, Christians might think like gentleness, meekness, um, we need to just be kind of pushovers and uh, I have trouble with that. Right. But I don't actually think that's what meekness means. I don't think it means like just roll over and, and, you know, be a, be a doormat or whatever. Um, I, but I do think um, Jordan Peterson actually talks about this. Of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's, he's talking about how uh, meekness is actually the ability to be essentially, I think, uh, essentially 
your, your natural tendency is to kind of be this monster. And yet those who are meek are able to kind of get that under control and to actually sheathe their sword when they actually know how to use their sword, but to keep it sheathed. Um, anyway, and so it's kind of like this, this, uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's not like, okay, we're just weak, but we're actually strong and we're able to keep that in check type of a thing. I love how you said monster. Turn that monster to beast. Oh, right. You're thinking Revelation. Yeah. Well, Genesis, Revelation, right? We gave our allegiance over to Satan. Yep. Right? A serpent, a serpent, a serpent is a beast. So we kind of go into uh, animal nature when we respond a lot of the time. Yep. Back, apparently, uh... You know, I, I've, I've never heard a sermon preached on the Beatitudes that took this position, right? But meekness is mentioned, you know, when we talked about it, right? The meek shall inherit the earth. But if you look at those social movements, at least within the last hundred years, and if you want to include Christianity, then we can go back 2000 years. Those movements that have been the most successful in affecting long-term change have been those movements that were characterized by what's what's the term that I'm going for? Um, peaceful resistance, right? No, there's there's an actual term for it, and I'm blanking on it. Right creative, creative resistance or peaceful resistance, right? Yeah. Um, but effectively nonviolence while still protesting the injustices that are perceived to be going on, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, and it, I mean, in some respects, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that this is the entire interpretation of what Jesus is saying, but you know, when he says the meek shall inherit the earth, he's effectively turning on its head the expectation of what the people had at the time in order to affect any change. You know, you needed to use the sword in order to achieve that, right? But if we look at what the Christian church was able to accomplish and, you know, what social movements have been able to accomplish in the last 200 years, you know, those movements that have had the greatest success in actually accomplishing their goals have been those that used um, nonviolence. Or or I would even take it a step further or allowed in some ways, violence to be enacted upon them. Not right. in the sense that we, we are the doormat, but um, who was it? Um, someone talked to me, it, it wasn't, it's not the ideals of Rome that changes the world. It's actually the ideals of the catacombs. So in other words, the catacombs were all these places where all the Christians were, or all the people were buried uh, very quickly and their, their skulls like fill, you know what the catacombs are? Everybody? Their 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 skeletons like fill the fill the walls basically. It's like that's actually what changes the world. It's interesting because that doesn't mean we're people's doormats. That means when force happens to us, um, we can resist in all ways we want, but we don't fight the way the world fights. We do things in a different way. And where Lauren was going, I was just going to state um, that meekness is like a bridled Clydesdale. This is where the self-control comes in, by the way, um, because because you do have the power to destroy. You have the power to, to do a lot of things. Everybody does, by the way. Um, and to, to make the choice not to do that and to be gentle and to be gracious and actually think of the person and, and to take your time and be patient during this, um, this is a very difficult thing to do. And you have to, there's a spider in here. Okay. Um, I don't remember what I was saying, but y'all got the point. All right. Bridled Clydesdales. Bridled Clydesdales. Right. right. I don't think we have time. It's seven o'clock. And I don't think we have time to uh, get into the next verse. Well, for uh, those who are listening to the podcast, we have the joke. Oh, right. We can't leave without that. Go ahead, Anson. Okay, so the answer to last week's joke, who is the greatest financier in the Bible, is um, 
Noah because he was able to float his stock while everyone else was in liquidation. And the joke for next week is why did Noah not go fishing while he was on the ark? <laughs> That's our teaser for next week so we can see, see what happens with that. All right. Thank you, Anson. All right, Brad, do you want to pray for us? Yeah. Father, I just want to thank you for this time we got to spend together. Uh, spend uh, diving into your word and, and, and discussing it deeper. And, and Father, I just thank you for this, this group of people um, that, uh, that I have the opportunity to learn from them and learn from you as you use them father and i pray that goes the same for for them um, as well god but but yeah i just just want to thank you god thank you that we get to do this on a weekly basis thank you that we get to um discover more of you and and grow close to you in the process uh together as a community father and i pray for blessings over this next week that we may um have hearts that are submissive to you and that whatever anxiety may come our way, that we may cast them upon you because you care, care for us, Father. Um, and, and all things, may your name be glorified. And, and may we just continue to choose you and, and just, um, yeah, submit to you and, and, and help us discern your will and what you have in store for us, Father. Um, thank you so much for who you are and, um, and, and the, the depth um, and the, um, the length, I guess, that, that, that you took, the path that you took to, to save and redeem us, Father. Um, um, there is no God like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.